Welcome back to Duck Insider, a Stevens Wrestling Podcast. The regular season is officially in the books, and we're on to the postseason. The Ducks head to Lycoming College tomorrow to compete at the NCAA Southeast Regional Tournament on Friday and Saturday. Looking to punch some tickets to Cedar Rapids, Iowa for the 2022 NCAA Championships. Wrestlers need to finish in the top three at their weight class to qualify. We've got 10 guys ready to go, and it should be a great weekend of wrestling. Now, to wrap up the regular season, Stevens wrestlers enjoyed a lot of success at the Mideast Futures Tournament. This is a tournament for anyone not able to compete in the postseason. One more time to get on the mats and, and scrap, and uh, we had a good showing. Three teams uh, took second as a team, and we had three individual champs, so congrats to the champs. Pasquale Vizzoni at 149, Jack Bailey at 165, and Joel Marcevoski at 174. Now, episode 10 features alumni Colin McCullough. Another alumni show for, for our fans. Colin graduated in 2009. He was part of the first recruiting class at Stevens. So when it was first uh, on its ups. And he has been crushing on the professional scene. He got his PhD from Columbia University. And we catch up on what Colin's been up to professionally. How he became semi-Twitter famous. And uh, his time at Stevens. And much more. So enjoy the show. Let's get going. I got I got probably the most riveting question of the day. Well, wait, I'll save that. Let's let everybody know that we're recording on Valentine's Day today. This podcast isn't going <laughs> to air until what, Anthony? I think the 9th or something like that of March. Well, regardless, regardless, when you guys are listening to this, you'll know exactly what day it is. But today's Valentine's Day. So, Colin, what are you doing for your three beautiful girls at home today? Oh, today? Actually, we uh, we delayed our Valentine's celebration. We're just going to go out to dinner on, on Friday. Just keeping it simple. Okay, nice. Nice. Now, are you bringing your daughters with you or is that just a solo date? Um, I'm leaning towards solo date. The daughters yeah. can... And stay at home. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. I feel that. Cool. Okay, so now let's get into what I really want to know. So I'm not a huge social media guy. Our, you know, our listeners for the most part know that Anthony runs all of our social media. Um, but um, in our preparation for this, we're just scrolling through. We're looking up, you know, what Colin's been up to uh, since graduation, what he's a part of. And my man's a social media influencer. You got like <laughs> over like 5,500 uh, Twitter followers. Um, I was I was watching your feed one day and I'm just seeing likes come up to whatever comment you made, like one every second, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> who's this kid that I went to school with? So you got to fill us in. How much is Twitter paying you? Where are we at? <laughs> not not currently making any money off of Twitter, unfortunately. The uh <sighs> The likes can't convert those to dollars. Uh, uh, the bank, the bank will not cash those. Not yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the things I ended up doing sort of along the way as a kind of uh, side gig, I guess you could call it, is I was a co-founder of uh, a think tank called Data for Progress. So the way this kind of started out is I just started blogging about some data in politics, like just various topics that I found interesting. And then actually through Twitter, got connected with a few other people, including this guy, uh, Sean McElwee, who runs the organization now. And what we would do is we would kind of 
go to different organizations who had done polling data and we'd ask them to just give it to us so we could analyze it and then like write an article about it or something like that. And then after we had done that for a while, we sort of built up like a portfolio of work that we had done, which we then go and turn around to like potential donors and funders and, and said, like, you're interested in us continuing this work and, you know, you should fund us to keep doing more of it. And basically that, that was, I think, three or maybe four years ago now, uh, almost exactly four years ago, I think. Uh, but now we're, we're like kind of a fully fledged uh, think tank. We have like a staff of 22 full-time uh, staffers. Uh, our, our polling will get mentioned by the White House uh, every now and then. Uh, we have a, like a fully uh, kitted out internal polling operation and that kind of thing. So it's actually not related to to anything I do for my regular day job. But for on, on Twitter, I pretty much tweet about what I've been working on for data for progress and that's where that that following comes from holy um, smokes i think we're gonna have to start paying you to retweet some of the stuff that we put out so that we <laughs> some of your followers will then become our followers yeah 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 well the only the only things that i tweet that get like really any traction are not even about like what the data for progress stuff i'll just like make some offhand comment about my kids like dunking on me or something <laughs> and uh, and then that and then that's what get that's what gets attention so like i'll spend like six months pre preparing some analysis of some policy like or whatever like or whatever we're up to and then that'll get like two likes or something but then <laughs> i'll i'll tweet about how like one of my daughters called me a poopy head or something and then that'll that's what twitter really wants to see <laughs> wow that's crazy well, listen, man, that's that's some insightful stuff. I mean, 50% of all that stuff that you're probably doing is just going right over our heads. But, you know, that's that's par for the course with what most people do when they graduate from here, I guess, except myself. So um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a class on my own um, over here coaching wrestling as a Stevens alum. But um, but yeah, give us give us, I guess, some updates on what you're actually up to in your day job. Um, I mean, I remember part of your time, like right after you graduated, you were, you know, all, all of the guys on the team would joke around about how you're uh, building rocket ships and, and stuff like that with like Frank Maselli and, and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, so give us a, you know, maybe, maybe um, not to get too long winded, but give us a little, a little look back from like where you were when you graduated from Stevens until where you are now, like moved around at a couple of jobs and, and just kind of some things that you were doing. Yeah, yeah. So right out of Stevens, I went to grad school just across the river at, at Columbia. Uh, and I stayed there. I was there for five or six years, I think. So I did a, a PhD there in the civil engineering department. And I was on for an additional year as a postdoc, sort of continuing on with the research I was doing. Uh, and actually, my original plan was to try to become a professor somewhere. Um, but that, I, my job search was basically going nowhere. <laughs> it's like, it's pretty tough to, there's just a very limited number of spots and you kind of have to stay in academia for a really long time. And, you know, it just kind of pretty much randomly came up that one of the professors I had at Columbia, he had started a small business that was a spinoff of some of the research that, that he had done. And they were being bought out by Altair Engineering, which is a, the company I work for now. And that buyout like opened up a spot for me. So I literally just ran into this guy in the hallway and he said, hey, you want a job? And, and, you know, like I said, my job search was going nowhere. And um, my first daughter was on the way. So I said, like, pretty much on the spot, said, yes, I would like that job. Um, <laughs> I don't care what you're paying me. I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. 
but it's turned it was worked out really well. So I think I've been there for for six or seven years now. And what Altair does is they make engineering software. So they they have a whole huge range of of products for pretty much any, any everything you could possibly need to do these complex engineering simulations on on a computer. And the particular product that I work on is called multi-scale designer. And what that's for is for analyzing composite materials. So for example, like carbon fiber, epoxy type materials, you see them a lot in uh, in sporting goods, like you know, golf clubs, bicycles, like right. more and more they're being made out of these materials. Uh, we do a lot in aerospace. So, so these are the rocket ships um, and automotive as well. Uh, really these sorts of materials are we're seeing them everywhere now. You know, it used to be that there's a really kind of niche thing to be using a composite material for like sort of specialty applications. But with some of the like more advanced like analytical tools now that we have, we're seeing it become more of a commonplace thing because they are much more difficult to work with and to analyze than your conventional materials like steel or concrete or whatever the case may be. But, but have they have they become more cost effective? Is that is that why they're they're being more readily used? Yeah, that's part of it. They are becoming more cost effective, and that is like the biggest or one of the biggest challenges with them is how much they cost. Like there's there's a certain type of ceramic composite that we work with that gets used for really high temperature applications. So you'd see that in like a super high performance like airplane turbine or something like that. And they cost more than gold. Like they, they literally cost more than gold. Really? And, and the amount of physical testing that you need to do to like make sure the material is up to snuff so you can have a good design is usually what, what kills a project basically, right? Like the amount of specimens you have to build and then get tested in a high quality lab that's when the cost piles up and become, becomes prohibitive. So our approach really is to say that we can kind of substitute a little bit of that physical testing. Like we can never really replace physical testing, but we can substitute some of that with computation. And that's what's going to bring the cost down to make it so that it starts making more sense to use these, use these materials more often. Wow. That's fascinating. So let's take a let's take a quick step back. When you were at Columbia for those like five and a half, six years or so, were you strictly doing like research and and you know maybe student teaching here and there and, and working on your PhD? Were you interning? Like, did you have to intern in order to get your PhD? Like, or, or was it all just research based? And you were strictly like going to the university and and uh, you know doing stuff there un, unpaid, I guess you would say. Yeah, so I was uh, I was lucky enough to get a uh, graduate research assistantship, which is basically they pay you to do your the research you were doing anyway. Um, and we were actually funded by the Army Research Office, and that came with it did come with like an internship requirement where we spent one summer down in Maryland at uh, uh, at the research lab in in Aberdeen, Maryland. So they. They didn't ask too much of me in return for funding other than sort of doing the research that I was already doing, which is really like, I was very lucky to, to have gotten that because, you know, the folks who had to do teaching on top of their research, like it's really a big time burden. So this worked out really well. 
Yeah. And I, I asked because of that. I mean, it's pretty common here at Stevens. We, I mean, we have a bunch of people coming in doing research and a lot of our athletes, well, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but some of them, you know, their TAs are actively doing research, you know, and they're yeah. teaching the recitation classes or something like that. And, you know, the actual like tenured faculty is doing the lecture portion of it, you know, or they're going to meet with their TAs to get, you know, help on homework or, or exam feedback and, and stuff like that. So it seems like, like you're saying, like you had more of the outlier of an experience, the more beneficial outlier of that experience, but you know, an outlier nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. And actually even at, at uh, Columbia, there was, um, you know, basically a, a ongoing labor dispute that's been going on since, since I've been there between the grad student union and the administration, because such a high burden was being put on the TAs with, you know, low pay, just totally unpredictable hours. Um, and really just like a very bad, it's a very bad situation to put like some, a talented person in uh, someone who's, who could potentially be doing a lot of research, but they're spending like 40 hours a week doing kind of these other, ta these other tasks that the university is really only doing that because they know they can get away with not right. paying them. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. a decent amount of money for it but they've it, the they finally made some some progress there in trying to get better uh conditions and uh more more reliable hours uh, wow that's interesting so that's something you never you know you don't think about you know like yeah yeah but yeah i could you could definitely see how that could be exploited definitely definitely so well what's the what's the coolest thing that you've worked on since you've been at, uh, at the company you're with now, like with all of your testing and, and things like that, like what, what's one of the coolest projects that uh, you remember? So when I, when I first started, we were working as a contractor for General Motors and they had gotten a, like a very large grant from the Department of Energy to start researching what it's gonna take to uh, start using composite materials in cars for mass production because there's actually a lot of a lot of challenges there um, especially when you compare it to something like aerospace where composites are a lot more common so in aerospace like you don't have to worry about crash right if the airplane is crashing then it's that's kind of game over you're not designing you're not uh, like a major design consideration isn't really what's going to happen if this thing crashes but in automotive that's like one of the the biggest concerns and uh, another really major factor is that for automotive, the kind of the manufacturing processes that you have to use to be able to scale to mass production are actually a bit more complicated or really a lot more complicated. Um, for aerospace, you know, you have the composite, it's basically, it's literally in a big roll of tape and you just unwind it to make a wing and then put the wing in an oven and you cook it. And then that makes the epoxy set and then it has its full strength. But for automotive, the, you really can't use this tape. Uh, you have to have a machine which stacks up the fibers. Then you put that in a mold and then you inject the epoxy into the mold and then you let the mold cure. And that just introduces all kinds of problems. You know, like the, the fibers don't stack the right way or they get clumps in them. Or, or then when you inject the epoxy, you get these like, dry spots where there's no where that where it didn't fill and then you go to cure it and you have to use this like special fast curing epoxy and like all of this stuff is going to affect 
the performance downstream, especially when the car gets in a crash, right? So we, so this was a really cool project. I mean, first the, the subject I think was really cool, but it was also pretty interesting to see the, we had this really big interdisciplinary team, you know, cutting across things like chemistry. Like we had chemists on the team to help understand like what's going on with the epoxy, like while it's curing under this like really high temperature process. And then we have people all, all the way on the other side, like who, who do crash um, and, and pretty much everything in between. So it, it, it seems, it, it seems like it would be something that you, because it's just one tiny part of the car, really, it's, it's just one aspect of the car, but it required this huge interdisciplinary team, which was a lot of fun to work on. And in the end, I mean, I think we made a couple steps forward, but there's still a lot of, a lot of challenges left open in, uh, in actually making that a reality. Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting to hear about, like, you know, like you said, it's just like one little part of this, you know, larger picture, you know, and there's so yeah, many yeah. steps that go into it, you know, and, and to, to see all the working that goes, and there's so much more, right. That goes behind, like you just driving a car, you know, and it, and it being made into manufacturing um, or getting approval for manufacturing. There's so much stuff that goes behind it. Um, you know, that's, it's, uh, it's eye-opening to, to see all that and hear you work on it. But, um, let's, let's rewind a, a bit and, and let's go back to, um, you know, your entrance into Stevens, um, right. I mean, coach Lozier was here. You were, mm -hmm. uh, part of, if not the first, one of the first pro, you know, first, uh, first classes to come through um, the wrestling program, you know, here at Stevens. Um, so I'll let, I'll let Anthony take it away and, and kind of ask you a little bit about, uh, about your experience here on campus. Yeah. The last, the last podcast episode, Joe actually uh, chatted with Russ and they were kind of reflecting on the early days of when they made a decision to reinstate wrestling in the summer of 2003 and like that whole process. So you know, uh, very early stages, but I'm just curious what drew you to Stevens um, and like what you saw during the recruiting process where like, hey, like this is a place where not only I can wrestle, but also after graduation be successful. Yeah, yeah. So I think when I was first thinking about colleges, I basically had two things on my checklist, which was engineering and wrestling. And, you know, Stevens was just like another place that sort of checked the list. But when I really got excited about it and like really decided like this is where I, I want to go is the first time I came to campus All right, I think a lot of people the first time they come to campus is it was really just a great experience you know the location uh, being in Hoboken getting a chance to chat with a few uh, a few people about their experience um, was really yeah what that was the the deciding factor uh, for me although the catch is I uh, I didn't get in the first time around um, wow elaborate yeah yeah well my uh grades weren't up to snuff in high school so my first year i went to montclair state oh and then, i remember that yeah yeah and then i transferred uh to to stevens but yeah and, and the other thing was meeting coach Lozier um was another like major factor in, in deciding uh to come here because like, he's a yeah i mean great great motivator uh he's a great coach and uh yeah just Speaking with him, I just remember meeting him, coming to campus, and just being incredibly fired up about everything. <laughs> yeah, he has an impact on people. He still does. Um, but but uh, 
I, I just, yeah, I talk, I try to talk with him every, every once in a while. And every time I get off the phone with him, I'm just like, what's, what's this guy drinking every morning? You know, when he wakes up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could have get me some of that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got just as much fire now that he, that he had then when he started up. But um, what, what was this, like the state of the program when, when you came, you talked to Andy, you know, like, what was he talking to you about? What was he selling you on? What, what was, what was happening with the program as, you know, let's, let's even go a year ahead, you know, when you were looking to transfer in and maybe not, you know, coming in as a true freshman, like where was the program at that time in your mind? Yeah. So I guess that, that was the, the second, the second year since, or that would, my incoming year was the second year that they were reinstated. And the, you know, the, I think really the way that uh, coach Lozier pitched it is like, Hey, let's, let's build something new. Like let's, let's build something great here. And like, you come and, and be a part of that. Right. Um, so that was, that was what made it like really exciting to, especially coming from, from Montclair where unfortunately they, the administration was dead set on getting rid of the wrestling program at, at Montclair. And they ultimately did. Um, they actually mid season when I was there was when they announced that that would be the last year. And there was a big fight to get the program back and they, but they're only to get able to get it back one year before they they got rid of it for good and it was just like such a huge contrast between like being at montclair where the administration was actively against us to going to stevens where the administration is very enthusiastic about make sure making sure that we had everything we need right like, to build a program here and then just the excitement of of being able to kind of be a part of a program that's building itself from scratch was, was really fantastic. Yeah. It's so it's, it's funny that you say that. I mean, Anthony and I hear that a lot, you know, in division three where they're still to this day, firing up new programs, you know, every yeah. year. And now, you know, now you get them associated with, Oh, you know, so-and-so is starting a division three men and women's program, you know, but, but it seems like a very constant reoccurring theme, you know, for people who are starting up these new programs, like you have to find program builders, you have to find culture setters and people who want to be a part of um, that selling point, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's build something new. And that's not for everybody. Though. Right. You know, like there's most of people, most people want to be somewhere where there's something established. You know, I want right. to be a part of history. I want to be, you know, in a system that I know works and is proven and there's just more comfortability in that. Right. There's there it's battle tested. Um, right. And, um, it's, it takes a unique individual to want to be a part of something or be the first of something and be motivated by that, you know, be a trailblazer. I guess you could say it's not, you know, that's not appealing to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, again, to compare to Montclair, you know, the, the squad was a couple years older um, you know, the, we didn't have very many upperclassmen. Uh, the coaching staff was older, more experienced. And, you know, they also had this pretty big alumni network that we didn't really have at Stevens. I think I, there was one alumni by the time I got there. So all of those things are, are advantages. Uh, you know, th those, are, th those are the advantages of an established program. But, but, yeah, I think you're right that it is a kind of certain individual who's, who's drawn to the the trailblazing aspect of it. Yeah. I see a lot of similarities from like your student athlete experience 
to being like part of something new to your professional career, being like part of a new project from your side project that you talked about, or even the, even your, your full-time job. So like what experiences you gain as a student athlete that you take to your professional workforce as like that you learned while you're at Stevens? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so I think that part of, part of the, the trailblazing thing, and I do agree that a lot of what I do for work is, is related to that because it's, uh, it's very research oriented. And a big part of that is you have to figure out a way to deal with the fact that most of your ideas aren't going to work out, right? So, you know, we're working on things where no one's come up with a solution yet. Some of the problems we work on, there's really not been much progress in like decades, but you still have to try to come up with new ideas. And if you come up with a new idea and it feels like this is going to be awesome, but in the back of the, your head, you know, like, I'll probably sink six months or a year into this and then in the end, it just won't work out. So like a lot of people, like rational people will look at that and say like, well, why, why even bother? You know, just like, I think a lot of very rational people will look at what it takes to be a wrestler and say like, nah, this, this isn't for me. Um, but I think, you know, being a part of, of wrestling, it's really kind of imprints on you that the, the work that you're putting in is never wasted, right? Because it's, it's, oh, you're always getting something out of it. Even if, you know, you don't reach the goal at the end or like I start a project, spend six months and it turns out to be garbage in the end. Like that work that goes into it is never wasted because I always get something out of it. Like I always learn something new or maybe a failed project will like open the door to another project that will be successful. And I think just being able to 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 work work through those sort of sort of harder times when you don't feel motivated or when a sort of normal person would just walk away is 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 what I think really sticks with you after being a wrestler. Yeah, it's so I, I'm I'm writing this down because it's such like you know Anthony and I a couple of podcasts ago we had on. Um, you know, we, we titled the podcast, like it was something like about, you know, alter, an alternative uh, motivation, you know, and we had three guys jump on the podcast who weren't, you know, not necessarily in our starting 10, but are guys who have, you know, are either a freshman or sophomore or junior or senior who have been here for a long period of time um, and maybe never broke their way in, but they're motivated. They're still winning tournaments and, and things like that. And, um, you know, and what you said about like, nothing is a waste of time. You know, even if at the end of the day, it becomes a failure, most people would see those six months or a year as a waste. Um, yeah. But it's that wrestling mentality where, you know, most of what you do is a failure, you know, like even for the best guys in the world, you know, who you see, like they never lost a match or, you know, they never got scored on. Like there was a lot of failure on a daily basis, you know, or in their training that led them to that, you know, that point of success. And that, that's the stuff that's not publicized, but you know, that mentality that you're saying, you know, like whether, whether at the end of the road, this becomes a successful vision or, or in a successful project doesn't matter. Right. I mean, I put six months of learning into this and I learned something new, picked up something new. We developed other things along the way that might lead to something else or open up another door and that's wrestling. And, and I think, you know, really at any level that's, that's wrestling, um, division one, two, three, high school. When when you're a young kid, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really matter, right? You're in wrestling. You're going to fail more than you succeed, and and it's about what you take away from those things that that brings value to it. 
um, and, and helps you, helps you for the next, next step in your life. You know, it's not about, you know, if we go through an entire season, you know, and, and our number one guy doesn't win a national championship, like, was that whole season a waste? Of course not. You know, in that moment, it might seem like a waste, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're right, down on right. yourself, but, um, you reflect back on it. And it's like, if, if you approach every day with the right mentality, um, it, nothing's a waste, right? Every, everything has a purpose. You're doing everything with a purpose. And it's so, you know, I think that's why our, our alumni are so great. You know, like you're able, you know, we put you on the spot with that question. That wasn't <laughs> something that we, we fed you beforehand, but you're able to, to sit back and reflect on, I mean, that, that's one of the biggest values that I see as a wrestler myself, you know, that level of understanding, you know, so we're so fortunate to have, have such a, a, you know, distinguished group of alumni, but you know, you guys have gotten to where you got to because you keep those things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. So, I mean, back in those days, we, as a program had, had mostly downs, you know, not, not so many, right. not so many ups in those days. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's difficult to get the program off the ground. Um, just trying to bring in guys who want to be trailblazers, you know, but, um, but yeah, those were, we've, we've come a long way from those days. So I, I guess, I guess what I, what I would like to ask you is like, what do you, what do you think is, you know, as an alumni of the program now, um, you know, and looking back on it, you know, you graduated like around, uh, you know, nine, 2009. Yeah. 2009. Right. So I was only, a, that was only after my, uh, I was like my freshman year. I think we, maybe we had one whole season together, if not, if not a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been quite some time since you graduated. Um, like what, what do you see is maybe one of the biggest differences in the program then and the program now, um, you know, or, or just your relationship with it as an alumni. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the biggest difference has to be that, uh, you know, now that the program has got a bunch of years under their belt, uh, quite a bit of success as well is that it did, it, you know, did finally reach this, this stage where, uh, where, you know, it's like kind of like what Montclair had, you know, now you have the experience, like experience squad, pretty deep squad as well. Um, and like a bit of a history to it, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's it's really cool to see how we went from not having any history to to now we do uh and that's that's something to be proud of i think yeah it is it is it is pretty cool and and to you know i feel fortunate as an alum to be part you know have seen have seen it from where it was to where to where it is now and and you know kind of keep some level of uh you know humility in, in the process. But, um, in closing, Colin, I, I, Anthony usually asks, uh, you know, everybody who we have on this, but what do you, what do you think is some piece of advice that maybe you would give to somebody who's, you know, a current junior or senior or something like that, you know, who's, who's maybe looking at Stevens, um, uh, and, and, and questioning whether they should be here or not. And then I'll add another level to that. What would be some advice that you would give a current junior senior at Stevens who's about to take a leap into the workforce and, you know, kind of spread their wings from, from being, a, you know, an immediate, uh, you know, part of our community and, and, and about to become an alum? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I th- I'd probably give them both kind of the same answer, which is just sort of trust in your capabilities, you know, because if you've gotten 
gotten this far, if you've gotten to the point where you're a, a junior looking at Stevens, then I think you're probably ready to come here and, and to succeed if that's what you put your mind to. And same thing if you're if you're already a junior at, at Stevens, like you're gonna be a lot more prepared for the workforce than what you think you are. That's something I've experienced myself. I've heard from a lot of other people as well that they doubt themselves, but then once you get out there, it's way easier <laughs> than what they thought it would be. So just trust in your trust in your abilities. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it, and it's cool how you could give the same you know, level of advice to, to, to both, uh, both groups, but, but you're spot on. It's very, it's very, very true. Um, so, Hey, this is awesome. Con. I appreciate you jumping on and, and taking some time right in the middle of your day here, um, you know, and, and uh, jumped on a call with us to, to do this and, and share some insight with, uh, with our listeners. And um, yeah, we're really grateful that, that you're an alum of the program. We're, we're uh, you know, grateful that you've had all the success that you've had, uh, in the workforce and we know that you'll continue to have a bunch and um, you know we're, we're grateful to have the opportunity to call you an alum and, and have you in our network uh, and part of our uh, you know immediate family yeah thanks thanks this was great yeah and I'm looking forward uh, for the big show 